Episode 12, Finding Love Through Adversity with Transformational Life Coach Luke Bailey Wong. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I use my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Hello and welcome back everybody to Life Amplified. It is always my deepest privilege to be able to serve you today and I promise today's episode is just gonna blow your mind. What a touching story we're gonna share. Imagine, if you will, in an age where we only really communicate now through social media, Facebook comments, Instagram likes, text messaging, FaceTime. What would it be like to go back and connect with another human being on the most authentic level where love is the only way to communicate? Today's guest is Luke Bailey Wong, and he has an incredible story about his daughter Jade, who was born deaf, mute, and immobilized. During the experience, he and his wife Melissa had no way to verbally communicate or connect with their daughter, and the prognosis was grim. However, through the experience, what they realized is their daughter was actually the most authentic form of humanity, love. And we're going to take you through their journey today, how it changed them, and how it changed their family. Some of the topics we'll be discussing during this interview is why living for certainty and security will ultimately be a futile effort. What is the real definition of love? The difference between turning up and showing up when it comes to facing life's challenges. Why your mind is a great general manager, but a terrible CEO for your life. How to follow your intuition and ignore the voice of fear. The unexpected signs the universe provides to let you know that you're supported. And finally, how to take life's biggest challenges and use them as a springboard to move deeper into your purpose. I think you're gonna be so moved by this interview, and if you love it, please let Luke and I know you're listening. You can just screen shot this podcast, upload it to Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can tag him at Luke Bailey Wong. And if you don't mind, it would mean the world if you would share this podcast with a friend. I think his daughter Jade has an amazing story to teach all of us. I would love as many people to get their ears on this as possible. So share it on social media and don't forget to click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or give us a follow here on the iHeartRadio app. Sit down relax and really take in this interview. I think it could change your life. This is an inspiring 35 minutes with transformational life coach, Luke Bailey Wong. Luke Bailey Wong, welcome to Life Amplified, my dear friend. It is indeed amplified in this moment, Dan. It's a real honor to be in this space with you because uh, as you know, I've witnessed your journey and it has been such an inspiring one. And to be sitting here in this space that you have created and everything you have done to create it is sincerely an honor. So thank you. You know, we've had a uh, interesting relationship the past couple of years. We met in a mentorship group that we were part of. And over the past 24 months or so, you know, I've had the privilege to coach you on some things and you've been so gracious as to coach me on some marketing and branding ideas. But, you know, when I think of the biggest thing that you've coached me on, it hasn't even been anything that you consciously coach me on. It's just been watching your journey and watching your evolution over the past year where where you have 
really faced some tremendous obstacles and challenges in your life, but the grace and the beauty and the openness with which you have taken on what life has presented to you has just been so inspirational. And that was uh, one of the reasons I was so excited to invite you here today, because I think people are really going to be moved when they hear about your story. Because really, you know, what we're talking about today is about grief. We're talking about transition and we're ultimately talking about death, which, you know, as you so eloquently pointed out when you and I spoke a few days ago on the phone, it's the one common experience that we all share, correct? Correct. And it's part of life that we have such a tentative relationship with. We know it's there, but we don't want to get too close to it until it approaches us. And From my experience, I see that there's a real opportunity in seeing what death or even loss, because death's a heavy word I know. So I'd say let's just talk about loss, loss and stepping into loss, which is stepping into uncertainty within it presents tremendous opportunity. Without a doubt. So let's take this story back all the way to the beginning, because I think people are going to get a beautiful sense of who you are and the man that you've become over you know, the last year in particular. But it wasn't always that way. There was a time in your life when you started out chasing all the things that most of us are taught will bring us joy, will bring us happiness. You had the job, you had the fancy letters at the end of your business card. Tell us a little bit about where this journey started for you and what you were doing when you were living in New York? I was um, in New York and I was in the advertising game. I was with my gorgeous wife, Melissa, and we were really enjoying New York. I mean, New York's an incredibly intense, energetic experience. We both kind of big explorers of life and we were really engaged with it. We were both in the field of advertising. We were living the dream. We had a, you know, a loft. We were traveling around the world with our work and we were really into this kind of life we were leading, really hoping to create some real security in our finances. And, you know, there'd be good weeks and bad weeks and depending kind of how our work week went. And that's what we were doing there. And we were giving it our best. And then, of course, the next step after that is once you have the career and you have the wife and you got the nice apartment in Manhattan is you want to take that next step. So the next step for you was to grow the family, which Everybody starts out there with the best of intentions and the most optimistic beliefs going into that, although your journey took a little bit different turn at that point. Yeah, that was a a huge step in that um, I think we were both kind of conscious that we wouldn't quite have the freedom that we'd enjoyed when we decided to, you know, the path of of having a family, but it was something we always wanted to do. We went to a long mat and... It's a fairly intense one if you haven't done it. When you see your wife physically changing and you're you're realizing that there's no doubt about it, your life is going to go through tremendous change. But we were going through that and then it was at the hospital itself that things took a dramatic turn. My wife was there in the delivery room and all of a sudden we hear alarms as the heart rate of our child, Jade, crashes to the floor. And then there's complete what seemed like chaos with people rushing in, people rushing out, and, you know, a way to the operating 
room to start an emergency C-section happened. And it, it was just so dramatic. It was literally, it was such a pivot point because it was being on the edge of a dream was about to be delivered. And with just before it was about to be delivered, it spun and put us into a complete nightmare scenario. But there was something that was quite, I can remember the moment well that was fascinating in that you would think that your mind would go just completely frenetic and crazy. But it was so out of control. It was like within that moment, my mind surrendered. And I felt this strange sense of calm as I was sitting outside the operating theatre. One of the you know doctors came out and said, we are doing our best with your, your wife, but we don't know whether we can save your child. And you say something interesting that you almost found a sense of calm and peace in that moment. If you think about how will most of us live our lives, which is to obsess and worry about everything that could go wrong. Most of us live our lives in a stress response. And for you, it took the enormity of the weight of a potential tragedy of not just losing your child, but possibly losing your wife in that moment for you to find this sense of clarity and and what came to you in that moment. It was almost like a feeling that years before that, I had spontaneously dumped on a, on a yacht and sailed from Malaysia to Turkey with a bunch of other guys who knew how to sail well. But we nearly lost the yacht and ourselves once in a huge storm. And within that, it almost felt like I was back at sea in the storm of life. I was in a divine storm. And I knew that even though I had to be kind of aware that the moment was so much bigger than me. I think it was really a moment of surrender, knowing still being present, but surrendering to what was about to happen. And it really became a theme for us without us consciously knowing how much we did our best to be open to the fullness of the experience of where our life was about to take us. Obviously, your wife, Melissa, did pull through and your daughter made it through as well, but not under the terms that you would have previously anticipated. So can you tell everybody what the diagnosis was for Jade in that moment and what happened moving forward? In that moment, they didn't tell us exactly. We knew that our daughter had been born without about a loss of 12 minutes to 14 minutes of kind of oxygen to the brain. So we knew that that would be devastating, but we didn't know what was actually going to be the real outcome. We knew actually she came in without a pulse and they revived her. And then they were talking about, well, we they got her lungs working and then it would be kind of like days later, listen, we think that, you know, we've got her off whatever machine, the kidney machine, and we've got her off this and that. And so to see, we're so grateful for life, but it, it took us really months to discover that she was, what? She can't hear? What? She's blind? What? She's fully incapacitated. It was just like bombs dropping off one after another. Everything that you thought didn't matter. And there were bombs. There were bombs to really thought, what does that actually mean? But we were in such a, a different planet of uncertainty that it affected everything. Everything. It completely changed, of course, the vision. Well, who are you as a parent? And how are you going to show up? Who are you going to choose to be in all this beyond just surviving? 
So in that moment, you're faced with the decision. You know, obviously, this isn't just about you. Your wife is going through it, too. Did you feel like you were just faced with this decision of, am I a grieving father or do I need to be a strong husband right now for my wife? At the start, I think I was decided, listen, I've just got to hold this space, whether I was conscious or not. But I think at the start, because it was bizarre, I was actually live blogging from my BlackBerry moment by moment through this experience, which was, was something. It was, for me, at first, I was trying to be as strong as, as I could. But when we got home, after Jade had been in intensive care for months and then put in an institution, the reality of the situation really started to hit. And it was incredibly dark, incredibly dark. Of course, I struggled with it. We both did. But there was a moment to me where I just thought, my wife is just truly an extraordinary woman. She said one night, and we were really struggling with the darkness, she said, Luke, we've got to bring Jade home. So take her out of the institution and bring her back to your house to live there. Yeah. And you might think, well, well of course, why wouldn't you? There's a lot well, that came with that for you guys, though. That was a huge undertaking. 24-7 nursing, therapists in and out, hooked up to you know, various machines. It was basically running an intensive ward from the home while we were both working in kind of Madison Avenue advertising and somehow keeping those balls together. And we were barely holding it together. They'd advised us at the institution saying, listen, guys, this would be a huge thing. And I don't know whether really, you know, you can do this from your home. And I can mem remember my wife said something. She said, Luke, the only thing that would be more tragic than what happened to Jade would be if we didn't have the courage to fully love her. Oh, and wow. That means let's, let's bring her, her home. And I think that that moment was a powerful moment. And I really believe deeply through this whole process is that real love, real love takes real courage. It's not the easy stuff. It's not the sunsets. That's just receiving. The real love, the love that takes you from not a, just a transition, but a transformational love is the courage that is needed to stay in your heart when everything around you is wanting you to go elsewhere. You know, in relationships, this happens all the time. We get through the honeymoon phase of a new relationship or a marriage you know, where everything's great for the first six months to a year, you're still having the chemical release of the endorphins and the dopamine and the oxytocin. And then at some point, all that wears off and you have to show up and do the work in a romantic relationship. This is why most people are like, you know, God, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this or maybe experienced it at points in your marriage. I just wish it were as passionate as it were at the beginning. But the beginning is never really the real relationship. It's what happens when you have to show up when things get really difficult. As a parent, though, I'm just trying to, as somebody with no kids, I can't even wrap my brain around that, about showing up with an entirely different love, which, as you've described, I mean, literally running a 24-7 hospital ward out of your home. To me, part of it is, do you turn up or do you show up? And to me, turning up is a little bit like you can turn up for a meeting. But if you're really honest, you're sitting there and you're thinking a little bit, well, what's in this for me? Maybe it might seem be some attention my way. Maybe there's something I'll learn. Rather than showing up is different where you're, you're going, what can 
I give this? What can I give this situation? The situation with Jade, which was extraordinary, is, I mean, I suppose we didn't have to bring her home. There were many kids in that institution, which was unbelievable. Their parents had just fled, just couldn't deal. And before we judge them, don't, because you don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. The piece to me, which was the really transformational piece, is that after you know a couple of years of, of accepting, okay, we're doing this, we can do this, and you know we went on to have other kids, which was also balanced it well. You know there was a lot of love in the house, but the thing is, well, who do you see Jade being? Do you see Jade being a patient, and this child you take out of care of, or who is she? Who is she? Because you're not communicating with her through normal things. Who is she? And that's where it was extraordinary in kind of pushing in and really showing up to her and really spending time in her space, in her energy, and just recognizing the power of her being. Because I, I really believe that because she didn't have the mind to adopt all the kind of different belief set, you know, systems and the, the, the we and patterns that we adopt she was really this kind of vessel of of pure love you know we called her our little buddha and being in her space was extraordinary she was a true human being and not a human doing see i love that though because so many of us just base our identity off the job title the clothes we wear the image that we're projecting and here you are with this human life in your home that has no real ability to take on any of those things. How did that change you? We talked at the beginning, you were a guy who was living the dream, you had the fancy title, you had the money coming in, you were a human being for many years of your life. What changed in you just from being in this space and learning to have to just love unconditionally somebody who can't necessarily verbally give that back to you? I was fortunate enough that I came into this world myself with seven sisters, and which means that I was probably more in touch with my emotions than the average male. But I still had to play by the rules of being a guy and not being too effusive, even though somebody would say, Luke, you definitely have always been effusive. But the bit I think to the change is that for me, I think I gave myself permission to know that I was on, you know, we were on an intense emotional journey. The, the thing that was going to matter, like, guys, the design of your furniture isn't going to change up the situation. Luke, if you win another award, it's not going to change up the situation. The car you drive is not going to, you know, change the situation. The only thing that's going to matter is can you be and accept the intensity of this struggle and can you still create love within this situation? That was the only thing to do, to bring more love to the situation. You know, there was no other card to play. Once you had, you know, all the medical stuff and all that, which was intense and a lot to get and deal with insurance and all that, but there was still, that was obviously the card to play. And she demanded that of us. Thank God she did, because I think she repaid that love with such incredible interest. What was the prognosis from the doctors? They told you she probably wouldn't make it to adulthood, but they didn't really tell you what her lifespan or life expectancy was expected to be, correct? There was a conversation. They never could, because there's such uncertainty. They know that she's not going to live for long, but they don't want to say to you, hey, guys, 
we're talking just a couple of years here because if your child through whatever miracle kind of gets there and lives another decade or two, you're going to go back and say, you completely kind of misled us and crushed our dreams or whatever it might be. But there was this situation where we were, you know, my wife was in, had an incredible way about the when she showed up to make sure that Jade had everything she needed and then more. And there was no shortcuts to be done by any medical staff when she'd be in intensive care. We often had to rush her there. There was a stage there where we were frustrated with some procedure that they were doing, which we'd asked them not to do. And we kind of said to the nurse, listen, we'd asked not to do that. And she went and told the leading doctor who was in charge of the what's called the PICU, the Children's Intensive Care. And we had this conversation. And he said, guys, do you know what the prognosis is here? We both said, we know that she's not going to live for, for long. And he said, what are you guys doing about it? What's your plans? And we said, well, we've got her at home and then we're going to move to California. And he said, kind of like with disbelief, like, what on earth for? And do you know the risks involved? And we said, for warm air and sunshine. And you could see by his eyes, like, what are these guys on? Because he knew that to put her up in a plane, who knew what that would do to a respiratory system and the risk that it was take. And like from a medical perspective, what was warm air and sunshine? But for us, we thought if you were blind, deaf and immobilized, would you want to be in New York for four or five months where you're not going to be outside with the elements of the cold? Or would you like to be every day getting your therapy outside with a warm breeze and sunshine? And for us, love said that even though there was a mammoth amount of fear. And I can remember he spoke the words and said, with all due respect, you are chasing a full stream. He said that to you? Yep. Wow. Not for, to be hurtful or antagonistic, because that's what he believed. He believed he was being of a service telling us that because, and from a medical perspective, it was rational truth. When you have everything from a scientific or from a rational analytical perspective, telling you that you need to behave one way, that you need to follow a certain game plan. How do you even begin to go back and trust your intuition that you were making the right decision, not just for Jade, but for the family? Well, here's the thing. Your mind is a good general manager, but it's not a great CEO. It doesn't have the vision. It's your heart and your feelings there, or even if you push it further to your soul, they tell you where to go. They tell you where to go. And if you're courageous enough to follow the callings of your soul and you listen, it will give you signs to let you know that you're not doing it alone. And there was this moment that I'd really like to, to share that because it was truly something. We were on the steps of our brownstone in Brooklyn. It was a Friday. On Monday, there was a medical plane booked at a great cost with some brave paramedics to fly to the other side and my wife and I were sitting there and she was just looking at me she said look we are really up you know for quite a journey here because insurance people haven't even got the oxygen on the other side there's no hospital bed you know there's so much stuff that they're not supporting us in this is pretty crazy and we both knew that if something went wrong everybody was going to come after us legally medically everything we were terrified. We were betting our lives and, and kind of the lives of our other kids on this. If Jade passed in the plane, didn't make it, the ramifications of that would be severe. 
for the whole family. But we said to ourselves, the only thing that matters is putting our little Buddha under the tree. We'd bought this place in LA and it had a huge tree that had been struck by a a storm 10 years earlier. And for us, it was almost symbolic. That is us. We've been struck by a divine storm and our little Buddha is going to go under that tree. And that's where she doesn't become a patient. She becomes a sister. It's a place of communion. We're going and we're going to do that. And that's just where our hearts went and our souls felt. But it was terrifying. And I said to my wife, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to go in the city. And I said, what for? And she said, to buy some wallpaper. And I said, like looking at her like incredulously, like what for? And she said, I want to get it for Jade's bathroom. They're doing it over there. I thought, okay. And I thought, well, and you know, I was aware that she, she was doing what she could do, beautify the space and control what she can control. She couldn't find any. She did find a great bathroom sink and she rang up the builder that night and she said, listen, we need to change up the bathroom and we want to, you know, put the sink in and elevate the ceiling. And he said, oh, Melissa. We've got no time. We've got so much to do. And we've got to get the electricity going and all that. And he said, listen, it's for Jade. And they knew that they couldn't argue her on anything that was for Jade. They called back hours later, Dan. And he said, I've elevated the ceiling. And do you know what I've seen? It's this beautiful 100-year-old wallpaper. And we said, fantastic. Send us a picture. He sent the picture. Do you know what the picture was? Hmm. Just one image over and over again. A golden Buddha under a tree. Wow. You think the universe was speaking to you in that moment, telling you you're on the right track? I think it was. I think the fact that we found out that the owner of this house that we're in used to be a silent movie star to us is like, that's what Jodie is. She, she was quiet, but she shone so strongly. There were signs just along the way. And here's the bit then. Like some people could listen thinking, what are these guys doing? Like really at the end of the day, you know, sunshine and this tree and, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't seem to be too rational, but we felt this feeling, but we brought Jade here for years. She had a therapy every day and it was just, our hearts just knew that it was such a fantastic thing to do. We created a beautiful space here. My wife had been extraordinary decisions to make the place just truly magical. But in the end, when we're up at Children's Hospital and Jade had had another episode of pneumonia and they said she's not going to make it. And how old was she at this point when that happened? Ten. So you had made it a full ten years, which obviously was beyond what the doctors would have expected. Correct. But we didn't think that week. I mean, yeah. if I thought that, I kind of thought on some level, I thought Jade will leave when she knows we're ready. Wow. And here's another thing, Dan. So here's the thing. On the Monday, when you have a child like that, there's so many changes you need to do to a home to make it accessible for a fully handicapped person. And we'd done most of those changes and we'd opened it up and knocked down walls and brought in lights and did all that. But the next thing on the next week, literally on the Monday, is I was going to have to go through a huge process with my wife and we were going to have to put in the paths around the garden. And they were going to have to look pretty ugly because they were concrete, but they just had to be what they had to be for things. And we were going to do that. But it was almost like Jade said, Mum and Dad, you've created this beautiful place. You've given me everything. You know that. You don't need to put in those paths. Because on that Friday, they said, listen, guys, she's not going to make it. And we said, well, we're going to take her home. And they said, well, you sure you want to do that? Because she's good chance she'll pass in the ambulance on the way home. And that'll be very traumatic. But in our hearts, we knew 
we knew where she had to be. Another it's, instance of the mind being a uh, great general manager and a shitty CEO. You had a deeper knowing that she needed to be in her space you created. Yeah, in that space and pushing through into that space, even though there was still a lot of uncertainty, but just kind of trusting that intuition. She stayed during the night. The next day, we kind of were probably a bit out of our minds, but that's okay, in that we invited friends and family and said, everyone who's here in LA, come and join and celebrate Jade's last day with us, which must have been quite a call for them to get. We spent the day music, celebrating, loving, crying. And I want to say that for a second. Obviously, that's not a call you're normally expecting to hear from friends. Come celebrate our daughter's last day. But I just want to go back to the beauty of that because everybody showed up and made a beautiful time of it. Tell me about that community that you had there that day uh, with the music and everything else. We didn't do this journey alone. We have had extraordinary friends who have showed up. And it might be that, listen, not everybody needs to kind of know about, you know, a heart-wrenching thing we've dealt with this day and the doctors or whatever, but they would show up just being there in a full and loving way to add to what we wanted in this space, which was laughter and love and to be on this journey with us and not to be afraid. And Jade was always there. We always have her in the kitchen or outside. And so they were so supportive. And that day was an extraordinary day. And then they were like, we didn't have to say anything. They kind of slowly dissipated out towards the end of the day. And then we were by ourselves in a day bed under the tree with our two children on either side holding Jade. And as the sun went down, she went up. She took a last breath. And that was extraordinary. And thank God we listened to meet that moment. It's interesting. I had a similar conversation a couple episodes ago with Jen Hudak, who was talking about holding her father's hand the moment he took his last breath. And, you know, she was very honest about the fact she goes in that moment. I don't know what happens on the other side when our time is up. She goes, I know there's something beyond this, though. And here you have this beautiful gift of your daughter who's never been able to speak who's never been able to verbalize, who, who could not hear you through any of the messages that you told her. She was immobilized her whole life. She couldn't move. Share with the listeners what you noticed in that last moment. It was an extraordinary thing. Let me just give you a little bit of texture. That we called Jade Jade before she was born. And Jade has a Chinese meaning that we didn't know of till later that means between heaven and earth which was extraordinary. There we were, and we were holding Jade, and her breathing's getting shallower, and she took that last breath. Now, Jade is a child who had no voluntary muscle movement and a very kind of loose neck, like her head would kind of look down because her neck muscles couldn't hold it up. But in this last moment, she took a last breath, and as we believe, like her soul left her body, her eyes widened. Just in that kind of all that oh my God, they just widened and her head went up, her neck went up, and she just looked upwards towards the stars. I would have to say that that moment was such a powerful moment to, to hold the space for someone you love to transition from life to me is a transformational experience. And I know from my wife it was as too was as well. Transformational. 
being there in that moment, what do you believe about death and what happens after our existence in this physical body is done? Not that any of us know for sure, but being there in that moment, watching the eyes widen, how's it changed your belief? It's deepened my belief in the way that I'm not someone who attends church every week, but I've always been someone who's into spirituality. For me, the belief is that there is something bigger. It is boundless. Now, we might call it the universe. We might call it God. We might call it our consciousness, but it is boundless. It is not contained. It is not constrained. And that energy transition from being bound in the human condition to being released back into kind of the universe is what I would call the passing, the death. And there was definitely that we had a week of celebrating Jade's life and there was so many incredibly powerful things that happened that literally just blew our mind that you're kind of thinking, well, this just cannot be a coincidence. It cannot be a coincidence. I've been working on a potential project at the time. One of the colleagues I was with, we were talking about, there was a, a conference type thing and we were reaching out to Dalai Lama's people, um, kind of an introduction, kind of keynote. And so we were in communication there. So he would kind of, had come into my orbit. I'd met him, but kind of, I was becoming more aware. One of my wife's, one of our best friends came over and her husband just coincidentally happened to be in Nepal and he'd taken with him some jade colored love hearts to kind of have a little mini shrine in a spiritual place in Nepal for jade not knowing what had happened and first of all the Dalai Lama became aware of from one of my friends that I was doing this business project with was that my daughter had passed and he relayed the message that he was aware of that and he'd had all his monks praying for for jade there were I think 49 days in that same moment, my friend who was in Nepal was walking along with a friend of his and his friend pointed out a building and said, do you know what that is over there? And he said, no, what's that? And he said, that's the Dal where the Dalai Lama lives. And my friend said in jest, we should go and say hello. And they walked, not thinking, of course, that he'd be there, and met the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama blessed these stones and was aware of Jade Bailey Wong. Beautiful. The next day, we were going to put these Tibetan prayer flags up just because of the whole theme of the Buddha. We're not huge Buddhists, but it just was fitting with Job. And my wife had said to me that, no, but you've got to put them up high, put them up on the top of the tree. And I was thinking, how on earth am I going to get them at the top of the tree? It's going to cost us a fortune to rent a crane or something. I was just kind of thinking through that. Anyway, at five o'clock in the morning, I get a ping and it's from a family friend in Australia who happened to be in Nepal who had known of any of this thinking who had given prayer flags to a group that were going up to the top of Everest. And so Jade's flags flutter from the top of Everest. Beautiful. For somebody listening right now who's going through a tremendous amount of suffering, we all go through a period in our life where it feels like we're facing a situation that is beyond us, that is just too big to bear. It could be facing a literal death. It could be facing a metaphorical death, divorce, loss of a job. Not that that compares to losing a daughter. I don't, wanna, I don't want that to be mistaken. But at some point for each person listening, they either are or they're going to face a situation that seems beyond them. Based on your experience, what do you do in that situation? You allow yourself to believe that 
what you're feeling is not a destination. It's not the place you're ending up. It's just a transition. And perhaps you don't know fully where you're transitioning to. I think there's many listeners in who would be listening who have maybe been out of work. It's terrifying. It's a loss of identity. But I think there's many of us who realized that there was an opportunity that came later. Or maybe there was in a relationship that ended. But during the time, it feels awful. And there's such deep uncertainty. But when we look back, it actually elevated us to another place. And it's allowing ourselves to feel the uncertainty. You can't push it away and pretend it doesn't exist. There is fear. And to me, is don't push it away. Allow yourself to feel it and go through it with the belief behind that I believe there's better things to come. And that is not being just surrendering like, oh, whatever happens, happens. Still having powerful intentions for yourself, still showing up for yourself, still creating powerful intentions, being allow yourself to surrender that life is bigger than me. When you think about it, death and rebirth is a natural cycle of life. You know, right now we're going through the winter where, you know, plants and flowers and trees are, you know, dying off. But new life is born in the spring. It's the tremendous symbolism of the life of Jesus, really. I mean, if there, there had to be a crucifixion for there to be a resurrection. In that sense, becoming intimate with death in the way that you were for your family, what was reborn within you from going through this experience? What was born anew within yourself that wouldn't have happened otherwise? A lot of us live with the feeling of that we're in control of our lives. And we spend a lot of time to control a lot of it. And for me, this just awakened so much that there is so much uncertainty and I didn't want to wrestle it. And I knew that there was part of me that knew how to deal with that uncertainty in a better way. And after going through so many, you know, as I said, without getting into the other ones that had been other close family deaths and after being through numerous ones and recognizing kind of that there was more to life than just chasing security through money you know that real security was chased through the the sense of kind of of self-belief was real freedom and belief that the life had your back rather than kind of resisting life opening up to a, a much more unconditional loving relationship with life and not being so conditional that life if you treat me this way i will show up for you like no just be open to all of life knowing it will do the right thing by you if you do the right thing by it i love that my friend this has been a powerful powerful conversation i so admire your vulnerability and your openness and the grace and the eloquence which you have displayed through this entire situation i you know got to talk to you as it was going on and just watched you on social media and how you were showing up your commitment to going deeper, to becoming a better man for your wife, for your children, to serve a higher purpose in the world. It's a rare quality in our culture right now, you know, where people are so focused on things outside of themselves. And the way that you have taken what could break some people and spin this around into a way to elevate both yourself and your family is admirable. And I have so much love for you. And thank you so deeply from the bottom of my heart for sharing this story and sharing Jade with all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Dan. I suppose the core message that I'd love to leave all the, uh, the listeners with is just stay open. Stay open. And maybe that there's more to it that you don't know 
and use the power of intentions daily, but still stay open to love, even though it might feel like it's escaped you in the moment. Luke, if people want to find you online or any social media, how can they link up with you? They can link up with me by email. Me is free at yahoo.com. Me is free at yahoo.com. They can find me on Facebook, Luke Bailey Wong. They'll find me there. Hopefully, they will find me in the future as an author. Yeah, I know you're working on a book right now on this experience. So when all that comes out, make sure to let us know so we can uh, spread the word to all of our listeners. But I love you, my brother. I appreciate you. You're an incredible human being. And thank you so much for doing this with me. Love you, Dan. I told you that interview today was going to be a special one. If you loved what you heard, by all means, please let Luke and I know you're listening. Just screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason and make sure to tag Luke at Luke Bailey Wong. You can also interact with both Luke and I and our private Facebook community for listeners of the Life Amplified podcast. This is such an incredible group. Hundreds of people now from all over the world who are just there supporting, lifting each other up and having a really positive discussion. Discussion, I would love for you to join us. Facebook.com slash groups slash Life Amplified. And coming February 18th, I've got a new 12-week coaching program designed to give you daily expert mentorship, a community of like-minded people who get you and believe in your dreams, even on the days when you don't, and a daily goal-setting and implementation plan to keep you consistently aligned with your goals and help you accelerate your success. Space is very limited, and you can apply today by going to my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. It would be my honor to help you move forward and create massive change in your career, your relationships, your health, and your finances in 2018. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for spending this 40 minutes with us today. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can get out there and live life amplified. I'll talk to you next time.